This is a Soulfire production. Welcome back to A Sharper Life. I am your host, Nikki Sharp. And today we are talking about money, scarcity mindset, and how to overcome it. We're talking about how to set your prices and ask for what you deserve in business, splitting finances with a partner, and much, much more. But first, I would like to remind you that doors are open for the Ultimate Transformation Program, which begins on September 17th. This is an investment in your future and your future self, but it will help you to completely transform your way of thinking about money, finances, getting clarity around the type of job that you want. And past clients have been able to overcome sabotaging behaviors such as spending on food and clothes when stressed. And that has helped save them thousands of dollars, which they then learn how to invest in UTP. So the ultimate transformation will help you to see a radical change in all areas of your life with a money back guarantee. Learn more about this exclusive program that I launch once a year at ultimatetransformationprogram.com or in the show notes. And just a reminder, it is open for registration. Doors close on September 16th and we start on September 17th. So I hope to welcome you as one of the new members who's going to see an incredible change in their life. So jumping into today's episode, I would like you to take out a piece of paper. And as soon as I read out these questions, I'd like you to pause the podcast. And this is going to be important for today's episode. If you don't have a piece of paper, you can also take out your phone and put it in the notes section. But I really encourage you to answer the questions. So number one, what are my beliefs about money right now? What are my beliefs about money right now? Number two, what was I taught about money from my parents or those in my family while growing up? So examples, were they stingy with it? Did they have a scarcity mindset? Did they have a lot of money and they gave you anything you wanted? Did they buy food on discount? Were they in debt? So what did you learn about money as a child? Number three, how did my childhood and what I experienced about money reflect on my money habits today? So how does my childhood and what I experienced about money reflect on my money habits today? And number four, what is my biggest challenge when it comes to money? So what is my biggest challenge when it comes to money? So Hopefully, you take a moment to pause the podcast and answer those questions. Okay, so we are back. I am assuming that you paused, and if not, that was an awkward silence. But we are going into a topic that affects everyone. There's not one person who does not have some sort of limiting belief about money. And whether you've overcome that or whether you have it now, we have all dealt with this. So whether it's a fear that you'll never have enough, or that you have to work hard and hustle for money, we all have some thoughts on it. So money is funny. It's the thing that we all want, yet it seems elusive to most. We get jealous when others have it, and we think we will be happy when we get it. So money is just a magnifying glass. And I wanted to quote a friend of mine, David S. Kidder, who said, Quote, money is a magnifying glass. Money makes you more of who you already are. If you're a jerk, it will make you a bigger jerk. If you're insecure, you will become more insecure. If you are generous, you become even more generous. If you're nice, you become even nicer. 
Making money is like holding up a magnifying glass to who you are personally and professionally. It creates a lot of energy and power, and it's up to you to use that in a really good way, end quote. So I'd like you just to reflect on that and that quote. Have you been around people that have made a lot of money? And I'd like you to think about what have you recognized in them or in yourself when you have made money? Have you gone into a scarcity mindset even when you have money, which a lot of people have that? Or do you get excited and like to share your money no matter how much you have? What about being around those who don't have a lot of money? How do they act? What's your perception of people that don't have a lot of money? So I have my own beliefs and I have been around people who have absolutely no money and are the happiest, could be really integrate and find fulfillment with family and with enjoying their job no matter what it is. And I have hung out with billionaires who are miserable and they don't like their lives and they're constantly scared of losing the money that they made. So the money is just a magnifying glass for what you already believe, which is what we're going to be talking about today and why this topic is so important. The scarcity mindset, the abundance mindset, and how do you go from scarcity to abundance? And I am the perfect example and why I'm talking about this, because I'm going to share my evolution and my journey with money. Now, I want to preface this with this entire episode. None of it is financial advice. I am not a financial advisor. So please take what you want, try to implement it into your life, and leave what doesn't serve you. But I'm not giving any specific tips for you, what you should be investing in. I'm just giving information and examples of my life. So with that being said, when I was younger, I opened up my business when I lived in LA. And prior to that, I was living in London. And I used to keep tracks of all of my books, meaning I kept track of every single payment that I had in terms of business. So every expenditure outgoing, and I kept track of every single thing coming in. And this is when I was writing eBooks that the 5-Day Detox was an eBook. Now, as my business grew and I started creating my app and then I had my first book, my expenses became a lot more and the money I was making came from different avenues. And that's really important going into this conversation is that you want to have money coming in different income streams. So we'll talk about that. So for me, as I started making in different income streams and I had far more expenditures, it became overwhelming for me to keep track. And I did not yet know how to do that other than keeping track on pen and paper. So now there's things like mint.com, which I highly recommend for you to track. There's apps on your phone. So for me, I ended up going into debt. The logistics of it and the reasons why are not really important. But I went into debt and I did not know a thing about money. So I went and did the thing I think that most people would do, which was I'm going to apply for credit cards because I've already maxed out the two that I have. And I asked if I could increase my limit. And that's something you can do if you have a credit card with a good credit score. If you're not borrowing a ton or if you borrow and pay off every month, you are able to call the bank and ask for a higher credit limit. So I tried doing that. They said no. And then I went to different credit card companies and I tried to apply for new cards saying, okay, well, if I can't raise my limit, let me just get a new card to spend on. I got turned down from every credit card that I applied for, which was like six of them, because I did not know at the time, when you apply for a credit card, it dings your credit score. And I already had a pretty bad score because I had maxed out my credit. 
I was sometimes late on payments because I just was not astute as to what I needed to do. With that being said, I then thought, okay, well, what? Or I spoke to my dad at one point, and he was like, well, what about a a credit card transfer? So there's cards where you can transfer your credit balance transfer. So I looked into those to see if you can transfer your money, and I was not able to do that. They also denied me, so I was stuck paying off my credit cards, and I did the fatal mistake of I paid off the minimum each month instead of putting in as much as I possibly could into it. And why that's important is because I went into debt a second time and my mindset completely shifted. So I eventually paid off this debt. I think it took like two years to do because I was constantly doing like the $200 minimum. And that adds up so much interest onto your credit card payments that you're ending up paying. So I think I was in like $22,000 of debt at the time. And I don't know, but the interest is high. It's like 19%. Here's another trick that people don't know though. You can actually call your bank or your credit card and ask for a lower APR. And that means that you're reducing the interest if you have a credit card balance. But I am a big believer now, having learned money, that you should never carry a credit card balance that you cannot pay off. And that is something that we have not been taught in society. We are taught as little kids, you know, I remember get get the Victoria's Secret credit card, get the Target credit card, and you think, oh my God, cool, let me do that. But having too many credit cards open under your name is actually bad. Having balances on all of them that you don't pay off is bad. These affect your credit score, which then affect trying to apply for anything from an apartment to buying a house to applying for new credit cards to getting a job. So your credit score affects everything, and your credit score is affected by how much debt you're carrying and how quickly you pay it off. And these are liabilities. So a liability, for example, is when you have a car payment and you have 20 months to pay off that car payment. In the beginning, let's say you have 20,000 to pay off, that's a higher liability versus when you're at the end of the lease and you only have 2,000, you're less liable and your credit score goes up. So the more you pay off your debt and the quicker, the better your score gets. And banks want to see that you're paying off basically the maximum you can every single month. So cut to, I pay off the debt and I'm like, I'm never getting into debt again. How many times have we all said that? I'm never doing this thing again. Well, if you don't learn your lesson, then you probably will do the thing that you said you weren't going to do. So for me, a few years later, I went into debt again, but double the amount of money that I, I had. And this is due to, I joined Tony Robbins and the long short of it is, I did not anticipate that I would not be working that year and I paid more than I expected. So the investment in Tony Robbins for the Platinum Partnership was $85,000 for the year that you pay over uh, monthly. And I did not anticipate that you know I have to do travel and hotels and all of these additional things. It ends up being about 150 k per year, which I did not know. So that's one thing about money is you have to understand how much you're actually spending because what you see on paper, there's always taxes, there's always a service charge, or you need to pay tip or whatever it might be. There's always something additional than what you expected and you need to factor that in. I did not do that. So doing the Platinum Partnership was the greatest investment in my life. And one of the things that I took away from it was that I am a big believer in investing in yourself. And it does take money to invest in your future self. So that's why I'm so passionate about UTP and 
a lot of the concepts that I learned from Tony Robbins and his heavy hitting speakers, I implement into this program so that I can help you not make the challenges that I did. But that being said, I go into Tony Robbins. I end up going into debt. It is what it is. Greatest experience of my life. I paid it all off, which is awesome. And the blessing in disguise of going into debt the second time was that I decided I am not going to let this rule my mind anymore. I'm not going to have a scarcity mindset. I'm done with that. And so I started learning everything I possibly could during the pandemic when we had kind of nothing else to do. I was working two jobs, my own, and I was, I was doing consulting for a company. And I said, this is it. I'm paying off this debt once and for all. And I will not go back into debt unless it is a conscious decision, meaning I'm buying a house and I know that I'm going to have a mortgage. A mortgage is different than debt. So I bought a little book and I, every single day, wrote in my little red book of all the finance terms. I learned everything I could about 401ks and Roth IRAs and bonds and stocks and index funds and the different places to invest and your portfolio management. I learned, I mean, just the top investors, what they say to do, how to pay off debt, having savings, how you do that. And I studied just about everyone. And it was one of the greatest things that I've done. I would set my timer 20 minutes and I'd have an alarm go off and that was it, 20 minutes. And if I wanted to do more, that was phenomenal. So by learning these things, it increased my confidence. And by increasing my confidence, I felt more smart about the decisions that I'm making. And I want you to think about your own life. What is something that you had no clue about? Maybe you stepped into a job and you had no clue what to do in this job. It was brand new. Or you start learning about health and fitness for the first time. And you're like, you walk into a gym, you're like, I don't know what to do with all these machines. But you learn slowly and surely and you watch people and you maybe ask for help from someone. And so that's what I did. I started asking for help. I started learning from my parents and asking them what they had done you know, when they were my age. And through that, I became educated. It's like going to school, high school for the first day, you're scared shitless. And then you just start learning day after day. So that's what I did. So I got confidence. And through that confidence, I realized I had been making one big mistake again. And that was not paying off my debt as it came up. And so I changed my mindset. And I said, I am going to put everything that I have every month, no matter how much money I have coming in, into paying this off. So in a given month, I was never paying just like 2000 a month. If a check came in, I would take 1000 for myself for you know living expenses, and I'd put 3000 into paying it off. And let's say two weeks later, I got another check for 2000 I would take 500 and I would put 1500 into paying it off. So I paid it off really quickly because I was then paying off this large amount. And what's nice about it is it actually helps raise your credit score when you do that. So the blessing in disguise for me was going into debt the second time helped me change my mindset. It got me out of a scarcity mindset, which is an ongoing process. And I'm going to explain why. And it really allowed me to learn about money, the concepts, and become excited about it. And so what I've learned is money is just a game. It is money likes to be played with. And if we have time, I'll read you some money rules that I learned that I think are really, really good. But I am sharing that because I think that, not even I think, I know that money is a hard topic. And I, for one, 
used to sabotage myself like crazy. When I would do my taxes and I would look at the money that I'd spent on just food and binging. Well, what did I do? I would get stressed out and I would go buy things to binge. I would go buy purses or clothes because I felt bad. So I was numbing and distracting with the same thing that was putting me in a stressed out mode in the beginning. So if you are feeling that way, this episode should help. And I encourage you also to join U2P where we're going to be talking a lot about mindset. So with all of that, that's been my experience. And I could go on for an entire episode of that. But I want to answer your questions because I got some really, really interesting ones. And again, these are just my personal beliefs, what I have learned. And so I do hope they help them. Number one, how to believe in yourself when trying to start a business or get hired. So for me, it's knowing your worth. What do you bring to the table? What are you giving to your customer? So let's say you're starting a business. What's the value that you're giving to your customer? And what makes you different than someone else doing the same thing? So believing in yourself starts with, I know I'm starting this business because I know I have a unique product or service that is going to help someone. And if you don't believe that your product or service is not going to help them, like you're like, yeah, it might, then you need to go back to what the service is and reevaluate it because it starts with who is your client and what are you trying to give them? And if you're in a business or you're trying to get hired and you're trying to have your own belief, then I want you to think about what skill sets am I bringing to the table for this person? Now, like how will the company benefit? Let's say you're a PA. Well, you're going to take a lot of stress off your boss's plate, which is going to in turn make them more productive so that they can do a better job. So you, in essence, when you go to that job, want to say, I'm here to make your life easier. Your skill set is that you're going to take things off their plate and you tell all the specifics. Let's say you are going into HR. Well, you go in and say to your boss or your potential boss, I'm here to help you make sure the company is running smoothly and we hire the best people so that each person is filled perfectly in that position which will increase productivity. And I want to help you do that, right? If I was hiring someone for HR and you said that to me, I'd be like, okay, you have my interest now. And let's say that you are going into, I mean, even you're going to a waitressing job and you say, I don't want to be here, right? No one really wants to go do that. But you know, it's a temporary thing to help you make money, which is going to increase your confidence. You don't have to stay in a waitressing job for 10 years. You go in and you say, I'm here to do the best that I can to make sure the customer has an incredible experience. The customer is first, and I want to make sure they have a great time so they come back. If I'm hiring you and you tell me that, I'd be like, all right, great, you're hired. So it's really knowing what skill set you bring to the table and how you're going to help the business. And if you don't believe in yourself, once again, I highly recommend you doing UTP. We talk about this in depth. Next question, how to get started in building a financial portfolio and investment strategies. This took me a long time to learn because I was financially illiterate. And as I mentioned, I started learning with my little red book that I actually still to this day keep track of all of my finances about two times a month. And I write down, you know, what are my statement balances or account balances? What are my credit card balances? 
what money do I have coming in? And for me, doing it with pen and paper just seems to work better. But I really encourage you first to start off with knowing what you have coming in, knowing what's going on. Because the number one rule of money is you should not be investing anything, not a single dime, if you have any sort of debt, nothing. You need to pay that debt off immediately. And if you have all your debt paid off, if you don't have savings, six months of savings is what what all the experts say that you need. And savings meaning if you get, you know, if you lose your job or the pandemic happens, you have enough money to pay your rent, pay your bills, and buy food. It minimal cost, but you need to have that. If you have those two, then you can start looking into investing. So for me, I began learning by just going to YouTube, putting in investing for beginners financial terms for beginners. And that's how I came to just all of these different things. And it was one of the most incredible things to learn all the different portfolio strategies and all these names and things that I had no idea, just like stocks and bonds and logic and emotion and 401k and Roth IRA and all of these. So if you don't know those terms, just go to YouTube and start learning and write it down. Always write things down. So yeah, as I mentioned, getting your finances in order, don't even think about investing if you have any sort of debt, and that includes your school debt. So you want to pay off every single thing before you start investing. Now, you want to be realistic about the returns that you're going to get. Do not expect overnight success. And so many people go into, especially like crypto, they go in, and I know a lot of people that have done this, they go and put their life savings into crypto. And if you've been following the markets, what happened to crypto? Well, it went from 60,000 to about 20,000. And that is a huge decrease in profit. So the thing is, for those people who put their money in, they then took it out when it hit 20. For me, and this is my own personal way belief, this is not financial advice. I look at that as that is the best time to buy. The stock you want is on sale. And the stock market is the only time that people don't like sales. They like to buy Amazon when it's a thousand, and I don't know if this is the correct price, but you know, when it's a thousand or let's say Apple, I think Apple was at a thousand or even more, a thousand per stock per one. And people like to buy it when it's up there because they have certainty. They know that the market is good. And here's the thing there is a bear and a bull market. I'm not going to go into all the terms. But we always have a dip every few years and it always goes up to a bubble every few years. We just don't know exactly when it's going to crash. And we've been seeing more highs and lows in recent times quicker. So you can't freak out one and take all your money out that you invested. When you invest, it needs to be a long game. And for me, when I put any money into crypto, into index funds, into any sort of place, I know, like, I'll look at it every year just to see where it is, but I have not taken money out of one single thing, let's say in probably seven years of different investments. And as of recently, when the market's been crashing more, I want to go put more money in right now. And that for me is a good time, but it has to be a long hold game. You don't want to play the short game if you're not financially astute about these things. Now, if you are a complete, complete, complete beginner, what I would say is index funds. And Warren Buffett, you can just Google Warren Buffett index funds. This is what he recommends. 
everyone to do. It's your safest bet and go learn about them. They're fascinating. Get in on index funds. So how do you start investing? Well, E-Trade is a really good place. There's Fidelity, Vanguard, and I have both Fidelity and Vanguard, and I have a money manager who manages money at Raymond James. But Fidelity and Vanguard are wonderful if you sort of know what's going on. I, If you are a complete beginner, I would start with E-Trade. And the other thing that I really like, it's called Public, and it is an app that you download and you can research different companies that are going IPO, meaning that they're going to have initial public offering. And I like get jazzed up about IPOs for things. And my first ever stock actually that I bought, I remember was Beyond Meat. After doing a lot of research into it, I had an intuitive feeling. And so when it went IPO, I bought it, sold it six months later for a profit. And that was really cool for me to learn. But public, the app, I highly recommend people go to because it helps you to see what other people are buying and selling and add different articles about each stock. So there's other things I mentioned like stocks, bonds, Roth IRAs, 401ks, index funds, crypto, real estate, NFTs. So you have to get kind of clued in where you want to invest and also what your long-term or short-term hold is for those and the sort of investments you want. Like real estate can give you a high return but you have to know the market. The same as like NFTs, but then those like crypto crashed really bad. So the other thing about investing is you want to diversify your account. And there's kind of two things. When you're making money, you want to have it come in through different channels, different avenues. And the magic number for buckets of like where you want, I believe is seven. So you want seven different avenues of in-stream money coming in-stream. I'm trying to say two things at once. So I'm mixing my words up. The same goes for when you are investing. You don't want to just put all your money into one thing. So let's say you have one job and you make all your money there. And then you take all your money and you put it into crypto. That's a bad idea. You want to have money coming in different places in case you lose your job. And you want to put money going into different places in case crypto fails. For example, that you know your index funds are still doing okay, for example, or real estate. So those are my kind of high-low tips of investing and building a financial portfolio. So here are some books to read or people to follow that I think are really great. Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert T. Kiyosaki. Money, Master the Game by Tony Robbins. The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham. Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And I Will Teach You to Be Rich by Ramit Sethi. So I hope that you gained a lot of information from that and those those books or you begin to read them. Next question, how to set a price for your services. So here's what I would personally do for that. I would go and see what other people in my field are doing. So let's just say in the service field. So not the physical product, but in the service field, which is what I'm in, I would go and see what are my kind of co-competitors or competitors doing? What are they offering for the programs? And what are their prices? Because my program is going to obviously be different than them. And that's good. And you want to just go online, go to their website, sign up for their whatever it is to learn about these things. Now, be realistic about your prices. Let's say you're just starting out, actually. You've just graduated IIN, which is where I started. You just graduated IIN and you want to become a health coach. So, with this example as a health coach, you are then saying, okay, well, I know 
what they've told me is I could probably charge $100 for an hour or 90-minute session, and I'm going to do that two times a month per client. That's $200. So in theory, that's not a lot of money. So I always say, first off, don't have your side business become your full-time business until it's making more money than your current job. And that's something I actually would have gone back and redone in my own career because I did not do that. And that's advice that I would highly, highly give to someone is don't quit your day job until your side job makes more money. So let's say you're that health coach, you're making 200 and you're like, right, but someone else that I see online is charging 500 a session. The thing is about that, they probably have years more experience and they are probably offering more. They have more client success stories. So in the beginning, you want to charge a lower price so that you can get those client testimonials and then you can start increasing your price. The other thing that goes into setting your price is how much knowledge do you have? Have you spent 10,000 hours at least studying this topic that you're sharing with people? Do you have all the knowledge because you've done a ton of different certifications? Have you invested in yourself and spent money in your education? That's why we go to doctors and, and psychologists because they have a PhD or they have, they have a doctor's degree, PhD. From that, if I was going to a health coach to start and they had one client and they had only been doing it for one year and they had only done IIN, I would not pay them the sort of money that I would pay someone like me who has invested. I mean, as I told you, I invested $150,000 in learning from Tony Robbins and all of his experts. I have spent thousands upon thousands of dollars of different certification programs to learn and grow my knowledge that I can pass on to you. And I have enough testimonials now that I know with guaranteed success, which is why I have a money back guarantee on all of my programs, I know that you are going to see the results you want. So I have belief in myself from years of practice. So that's how you set your price. And I want you to think about as well that it's okay to start somewhere. I remember when I moved to Paris and I was having kind of my existential crisis, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I'd already published two books. Then, you know, I had my number one app and I go to Paris and I hadn't done coaching in a while, which meant that I needed to set my prices real low to build that up. But I just kept building, building, building. And now I get to charge a pretty penny when you work one-on-one with me. And luckily, UTP, the group program, is much, much more affordable. And you actually get just as much, if not more, than you do when you're working one-on-one with me. So I have created my offerings to give you the most value. And I want you to think about that when you're setting your prices. What's the value you're giving your client? And whenever I raise my prices, I have to increase the value that you're going to get. So the next question here is actually kind of tied in how to not be scared to ask for or strive for a certain number. And I'm going to say this both with clients, like it's really hard to raise your prices. And I even had to deal with that as the money mindset challenge to be like, I recently, I raised my prices actually about seven months ago. I raised my one-on-one coaching to something that I was like, what? This is crazy to work with me. And that meant that for those clients, I knew exactly my ideal client. And so 
asking for a certain number and striving and how to set a price, they all kind of go together. You need to know who your ideal client is. And that means that my group programs are far more affordable. And so I don't feel bad asking for that from people because once again, I know what I'm delivering. So it goes back to what is your worth? What are you offering? What are you providing to your clients or in the business? What skill set are you delivering? And how have you gone above and beyond what is the minimum requirement for when you were hired? And so are you over-delivering for the company? Are you showing initiative and helping your boss take pressure off of them so that they can make more money or increase sales or what, you know whatever it is? And people are happy to pay as long as they know that you're going to do a better job than them or they know that you're going to relieve some sort of pressure off of them. So an example for me is my cleaner has become family. I love her. I love her daughter. And she has raised her price only once with me to the point where I've actually told her, raise your prices more with clients. And I love this woman so, so much. But here's the thing. I will pay her even more than I do right now because she does such a good job And she relieves so much stress and pressure from me having to clean my house. And as I mentioned, she's become family. So it's not just about the money. She gives me joy and fulfillment and things that I wouldn't get if she wasn't here. So when we move, for sure, I am happy to start giving her more money, even though it's a smaller apartment, because I know the drive is going to be a bit further. So that's how you factor in to asking more for your prices. But it goes back to, what is your mindset about money? And what is the fear if you try to ask for a raise? Well, the fear is that you're gonna, they're going to say no. Okay, well, who cares if they say no? So what's the real fear? Well, the real fear is that if you try to ask for more money, they're going to fire you. But if you're giving enough value and helping the company enough, they're not going to fire you. And not only that, they're going to want to give you a raise. Like I love giving raises to people that work with me because I know that it makes them happy and they're more motivated to work hard. And the more they work, the better my company becomes. And the better my company becomes, the more money I get to give you. So think about it in that way. People like to give money if it's a reflection of of who they are in that magnifying glass. So next question, how to get out of scarcity mindset when in debt? So as I told you, I was in debt two times. And the big difference was the second time I became knowledgeable, I educated myself, and I wanted to learn about money and not be afraid of it. And so I would say the big thing about that is I took responsibility for my life, my actions, and I didn't blame a single other person. I didn't say, oh, I'm financially you know, silly. I didn't know this. It's like, well, damn girl, you you better learn it because if you want to, then if you don't want to learn it, let's say, you're going to keep making the same mistake. So how do you get out of that scarcity mindset? Well, you get knowledgeable. You get yourself a journal and start writing things down. Keep track of your finances. Learn saving, where to make money, how to make it, how to invest. Just learn the terminology to start with and just keeping track of your finances and what comes in via like mint.com or any of the finance apps is going to be a step in the right direction because that's going to give you confidence. The other thing is stop comparing yourself to other people. If you compare yourself to my life and that I travel all over the world, 
well, I can sit there and compare myself to Jennifer Lopez. That doesn't do me any good. It makes me feel bad about my life. So stay in your own lane and worry about what you need to do with your life, your money. And the next thing is use affirmations. These are so important because if you're sitting there telling yourself, you know, I suck at money, I'm illiterate, I never make money, I have to hustle for it, making money is hard, all of these things, those are the negative. And I would like you to go back and listen to episode 18. I think it's 18, it might be 19, which is all about the fears. So it's the how to transform your life. But we talk about plucking the weeds or the fears from the subconscious mind. And if you have these thoughts, the thoughts are being based on your beliefs, which is your subconscious mind, the back of your head. And that's why I wanted you in the beginning to say, what are my beliefs about money? What did I learn from childhood? Because if you lived with parents who were constantly in debt and had a scarcity mindset, more than likely you have that too. And that's okay. We can change anything we want, but it's really, really important that you acknowledge where you are and start to change the language you use. So instead of saying, I have to hustle for money, I have to hustle, you say, I make money with ease. Put that on your phone, have it pop up as a a notification, put it on your mirror. But you want to keep reminding yourself of these things that you can do and you will do and putting yourself in the belief that you're already there instead of the, I'll never have enough money. I'll never, you know, I can't leave this job because I, I won't find a new job. Those are what we don't want. And once again, UTP, we, we go over this a lot, a lot, a lot. So let's see, what next question do we want to do? How to truly believe that I am worthy of abundance and wealth? Well, I would like you to ask yourself, am I worthy of abundance and wealth? Yes or no? Am I worthy of abundance and wealth? Ask yourself out loud, am I worthy of abundance and wealth? If the answer is no, I want you to get clear on what your beliefs are. Write them down. What do I believe about money? The questions I asked in the beginning. Where did they come from? And do those beliefs serve you going forward? The answer is probably no. You need to then do the daily affirmations, start getting yourself confident. So everything I just shared in the last answer, you want to start doing those, changing your mindset so that you believe in yourself. And how do we believe that we're worthy of abundance? It doesn't even matter if it's about money or anything else. You start to do things that help you chip away at that negative mindset in all of your life. So that's why eating healthy is going to be really important. That's why starting to save money, it makes you feel good. Paying off credit card debt, it makes you feel confident. Learning financial terms, being a kind person to other people, small things like that help increase our confidence. And when we feel more confident, we're able to think in a more positive manner. So I want to tell you a quick story for me. And I kind of mentioned it before. When I raised my prices, I actually worked with a friend of mine who is a coach, a money master business coach. He's incredible. And I didn't necessarily believe that I was worthy of increasing my prices so much. But what I realized is that it wasn't about just the price. It was what are the results that I am guaranteeing to you? What is my certainty in myself? If I'm going to raise my prices, what extra value am I going to give to you? And so 
to work one-on-one with me, it is a really big investment. However, I know that in five months of us working together, your entire life is going to change for the rest of your life. And I have that with certainty now. And so I have been able to completely change my view of abundance and wealth. And here's the thing, because I have higher prices now, I don't have as many clients. So I have to completely trust and believe, which I do, that if I don't have a lot of money coming into my account, I believe and trust that the universe is going to deliver me exactly what I need in that moment. And here's the cool thing. It always does. I always get a check for you know $6,000 randomly. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. A new brand wants to work with me or extend a contract, or I might get paid from a job I did a while ago. And the right client always comes to me. Now that I'm really clear on who I want as a client, the right client always comes to me. And I always know that, oh my God, that was the exact moment that we were supposed to start. So it's really having trust in yourself, believing in a higher power, whatever that might be, and knowing that it will be okay as long as you keep yourself in that positive, affirmative mindset, which we do from the confidence building things in all aspects of life. Now, okay, let's go to this. We have been taught to work hard at nine to five, but not how to really make money. I fully agree with this. And I do think that it's the old school way of thinking. And this can be seen so prominently in when the pandemic was going on. So many people made heaps of money on on OnlyFans, which I remember being like, how are people making $100,000 on OnlyFans? Maybe I should quit my day job. And then OnlyFans, like everything else, had its time and and you know fell down and people are not making nearly as much money. So glad I kept my day job. But the key to this is spending less than you make. So let's say you make 50000 a year and you get a raise of 1000 a month. So that's an additional 12000 Now you're making 62000 So with more money means that typically all of us want to improve our lifestyle. So you decide, well, my car lease is up. I'm going to get a new car. I'm going to get a more expensive, nicer car because I have the money. So now you're spending, let's say you were spending 500 a month on a lease. Now you're spending 900 because you're like, well, I have the money for that. You're now spending 10,800 per year of that 12,000 bonus. And that's probably just one place that you increased your lifestyle. So the thing about the nine to five and how to really make money is that we've actually not been taught how to save money. And that's the bigger thing here because I'm super guilty of this. When I make money, I'm like, oh, I want to go on a vacation. I want to spend it somewhere. And so I always have a rule that I must invest it first before I then go buy stuff. And I've also really learned in my own journey that material things don't make me happy. Buying a new purse does not make me happy. And I'm really guilty of this, which I'm going to answer in the next question. But I remember buying a purse, a Stella McCartney that I really, really wanted for years. And Finally, one day last year, I was like, man, I I made some good money on my last program launch. I'm feeling good. I know I'm helping people. And we walked by, my husband and I, we were walking in New York and we walked by the Stella McCartney store. And I was like, I'm going to buy it. I've wanted this purse for like eight years. And I did. And I loved it. And I was proud of myself. And a year later, I barely used the purse. And here's the thing. It wasn't about buying the purse that brought me the fulfillment. It was the fact that I had the money and I'd done things to increase my profitability and increase my savings. So it's not about buying the material thing. Now, 
when you're upgrading your lifestyle because you're making more money or you get a raise, that's actually the place that we need to work on is saving money, not spending, which goes into... Actually, I want to say this really quickly. So when I was learning about finances during the pandemic, I had this aha moment, which is it was calories versus money. So calories coming in versus money going out. If you want a healthy bank statement, meaning you want a robust, healthy bank statement, it's kind of the same as if you want a healthy body. If you want a healthy body, you cannot eat excess calories and you know shove your face with 5,000 calories a day. Just as if you want a healthy bank account, you cannot spend $5,000 a month on things, on temporary pleasure. And that's what I look at when I think about money going out versus you know calories coming in. It is a temporary pleasure of if I'm going to go eat a whole pizza by myself because I'm stressed out, that's going to temporarily make me feel better. That's, let's say, 4,000 calories. If I go spend $4,000, that's probably on a business class ticket somewhere, which is a temporary feeling of fulfillment because I got to ride in business. It's not going to create lasting happiness. And so I had that aha moment, which was, okay, if you're willing to you know, buy $4,000 for a business or spend $4,000 for a business class ticket and economy is 1000 Why don't you, just to be the smart investor saver that you want to be, that you're going to be, that you are, right? That terminology. Why don't you take that extra $3,000 that you were going to spend anyways and go invest it into stocks or, you know, into your money market, into crypto, whatever it is. And so I started having that awareness that I was willing to go spend 4000 on a business class ticket, but I wasn't willing to go invest 3000 into my portfolio. So I changed my mindset on that. And now when I get money, it's like, of course, I want to invest that instead of buying the temporary thing. So that goes into the next question, which is how to save more and shop smartly with nice brands. Now, I have a few rules on this for myself, and I hope they help you getting clear on what your style is and why. So for me, my style is more of that classic chic that I can wear things for years. And oftentimes you guys message me on Instagram and you say, where's that dress from? And I'm like, or can you link that dress? I'm like, I can't because it's from seven years ago. I keep clothes until I've ever... And shoes, purses, I keep them until they're dead, right? Until I wear things enough times to make use of them and spending the money that, yeah, a pair of Louboutins I don't keep forever because I want to wear them and I still treat them nicely. But, you know, 10 years down the line, they're probably not going to look as good. So for me, it's important to do quality over quantity. I want you to ask yourself, do I really need this? So just like the Stella McCartney bag that I bought, do I really need this? No. The answer is no. I wish I'd kept that money and invested it instead. Now, I want you to think about why? So why am I buying in this? Am I buying it because it's trendy right now? Because Gucci and Prada or Zara are telling me to buy it? Am I buying it because some influencer posted a link and they look really good in it? Think about what your style is. What are you trying to show to the world? And for me, when I buy new things, there's always a purpose to it. It's because I'm going to wear this on a client call where I want to look more professional. Or I might... you know, I do my hair, for example. I, I go to a place, I get highlights and I get nice cuts, expensive, because I want to look presentable to people. If I wasn't on camera, I probably wouldn't spend as much money on my hair, as an example. Now, 
really getting clear on, are you buying something to fill a void, to numb and distract yourself? Are you buying it for temporary happiness? Or is this going to bring you fulfillment in 20 years? So those are kind of my rules when I think about buying things. And I'm getting better and better. And then I also have a rule that if I buy something, I have to give away at least three items in my closet. So I am constantly like every month going through. And when I say buy something, I even mean a pair of socks. I'm always going through my closet to try to release old so I can bring in new, new energy. And it really, really just goes back to, are you numbing and distracting yourself? Are you buying this for temporary fulfillment? And why are you buying it? If you're buying it because you know that this is an investment and you're going to keep it and use it you know, for the next 20 years or 10 years, great, go ahead. And think about quality over quantity. Like I don't buy things from Target or Zara or any of those because they are cheap and they don't last very long. And I'd rather have something that lasts a long time that I can wear. Now, oh my God, there's so many more questions, but we are running out of time. I might have to do a second episode. How to budget things while in a relationship and who spends money, who spends what in your relationship, Nikki? So we, my husband and I base it on deep conversations that we had in the beginning, which is how much each of us makes and how much we feel comfortable paying. And this also changes if one of us is doing better in business. We like to take care of each other. So I remember when I was just, I just met him and I was starting out, I was in just a little bit left of debt from the Tony Robbins. And he said, let me take over a lot of the payments so that you can get out of debt. He knew the importance of this. And I am really happy to take some of that off of him if he has a less than stellar month. And so we're always trying to balance it out with each other. And we've talked about who feels comfortable with what. And what's really cool is everything that I'm teaching you, I went from being in debt when I met him to nine months later, I had $130,000 cash in my bank account. And I was like, huh, I should probably start investing this. So I got to use that money. And I, I made a pretty good amount last year by changing also my mindset about I'm no longer hustling. I don't hustle. I work smart. And I love working smart now because I don't burn myself out. And I'm not in that masculine energy. I take time when I need it. I go lay by the pool. I'm not in this, I need to work every hour of the day in order to make the money that I need to survive. That is masculine thinking. And once again, we go over that in UTP if you're interested. But I am living, breathing proof that these concepts and changing your mindset really does work. And everything that I have shared with you is what I did. But I really want to say it's based on open communication. And so he pays for more restaurants. He, he likes paying. He, he feels good to pay. And I love to make him feel good like that. But I also love to sometimes pay for restaurants too. It's, it's fun when I sneakily go off and, and pay. And he's always so appreciative. And we also have separate bank accounts, which we do plan on staying that way. And we will have one account for kind of joint purchases. And why that's important is because partners in a relationship have different spending habits. And for me, I make my own money. I live my own lifestyle. I don't need him to support me. And you know what? Hey, if you're someone who wants to be supported, you know, all for you, and there's actually a question here about that of how to leave a relationship when you're dependent on them for, you know, finances, which we're not going to get to. But if that's what you want, okay. That's what I used to want. And I realized that having that, which I did, left me feeling unfulfilled and incredibly unhappy because I wasn't able to really work on my purpose and share things with you and 
and have clients. So for me in this relationship, I bring 50% to the table now and he brings 50%. With that, like we paid 50-50 for the wedding. And that felt really cool that I had not only this 130K cash that was sitting there. On top of that, I had probably another 100K at one point. On So I invested a bunch of that, worked redoing my brand. That was a, a heap of money. Starting this podcast cost money. And I still had more cash coming in, sitting in the bank, which I was then able to flat out pay, not on a single credit card, cash for our wedding. So we paid 50-50. Now, when it comes to what you're trying to save with a partner and budgeting, you want to get clear on who spends more. Like I'm the spender in the family. He's more of the saver. And that's why it's important that I have my own bank account, that I get to spend my hard-earned money as long as I have enough money as well to save, to not get into debt, and to put it towards our mutual things. And for you, let's say you're going on vacation. Think about what's your income? What's their income? Are you splitting it 50-50? If so, then you probably need to know about each other's finances a little bit. I mean, I would say a lot if it's a serious relationship. And to have a plan of how much do we want to save by when. And I could really go into this for a whole lot longer, but budgeting is all about conversations and really being clear on who wants to spend what. Is it fair if your partner is making 200K that you guys split 50-50 if you're only making 500? I mean, if you're only making 50K a year. So having those conversations is going to be key. Now, I want to read you. This is from Patrick Bet David. And if you just Google this, the 20 rules of money, I'm going to read you the first 10 of them. They are so profound and kind of tie in a lot of what I talked about, but also he explains them in more depth. So number one, money is a game. The more you play the game, the better you get at it. Number two, don't be a hater of money. You can't say bad things about it. It won't like you. That's subconscious sabotage. Number three, it's a doubles game. It's about doubling your money. If you start with a thousand, you are 10 steps from a million. And number four, seduction. Money is attracted to seducers. It doesn't like desperate people who just want to show it off or those with the subconscious sabotage. You seduce it. Don't let it seduce you. Number five, timing. Must cut down in areas in order to grow. Timing on when to stay liquid, expand. So liquid meaning when you have cash in the bank. Number six, boredom. Money doesn't like to be bored. If you just put it in a checking account, someone else is going to be using it correctly. Money is always moving. Number seven, always have a secret account. Make an emergency account fund that only you know about. Number eight, don't fly business or first class until you have $10 million in your bank account. Use miles or have your company pay. And that's something that I, I already told you guys about that I started looking at at business class tickets as if I'm willing to pay 4000 take 3500 of that or you know 3000 and invest it now I fly business on points only because I've learned how to master money and use the right credit cards number 9 compensation plan and taxes people complain that business owners get better tax benefits but they are the one creating jobs true Number 10, end of the world mentality. People like Susie Orman, Dave Ramsey, MSNBC get paid to make it feel like the end of the world, which we should be prepared for. But those who took money out in the 2008 crash, they lost all of the compounding. So that's another big term, compounding. 
really, really recommend Patrick Bet David. And those are things that helped me to really understand money, how to invest. And yeah, that money likes to be seduced and it doesn't like you to shit talk it. And people shit talk it by saying, oh, I don't have enough money. I'll never have enough money. And even when you make money, you're constantly talking bad about it or fretting that you're going to lose it. So I hope that you enjoyed this episode. We went kind of deep and kind of broad in perspective. If you have any questions, let me know over on Instagram at Nikki Sharp. And I would love to hear your experiences with money and what your thoughts are or what your answers were. Feel free to DM me. I love having conversations with you guys. And until next week, here's to a sharper life. Bye.